Hi, and welcome to another podcast from The Human Diver, where we are looking to apply counter-errorism techniques in diving. By that we mean human factors and non-technical skills. Our goal is to give you the knowledge and skills so that your dives are safer and more enjoyable. The podcast is a mixture of short podcasts based on the blogs we have, and longer podcasts, which will be interviews or discussion topics. Show notes will be provided so you can dig deeper if you want. Ready to jump in? As we sat ready to get into the water for a normoxic trimix dive in 50 meters, I looked down on my 21 meter stage and realized that I hadn't analyzed the gas in it that morning. The date on the analysis tape was from yesterday. We had a strict approach to analyzing gas each day. No analysis, no diving. I quickly asked the deck crew for an analyzer. She came back, I put the analyzer on the valve and let the gas flow. The analysis only took a few seconds. It was 51.3% back on with the first stage and a few minutes later I was stepping off the boat with my team to start the dive. Did I need to do that check? It was the same stage I had analysed the day before. The technical answer is no. The social and cultural answer is yes. Deviance is a social construct, not a technical one. The standards we had within our team were there to hold each other and myself to account. To be able to say to one another, this is what we do around here, follow the standards, a culture of mutual accountability. Some might think that such rule following is about blind compliance and is cult-like behaviour. However, my perception is that it is about following the standards because I want to, because I know I am fallible. It is like pilots who follow checklists to ensure their landing gear is down. They too know they are fallible and so hold each other to account to follow the checks as they are written. Importantly, by having a clear standard within the team or organisation, drift is less likely. However, it does require a psychologically safe environment to call the other person out and expect to be called out yourself. Psychological safety is the basis for effective teamwork. This blog is going to dig into the concept of normalisation of deviance and explain that it isn't about rule breaking, but rather it is a social construct. And therefore, if we want to reduce the normalisation of deviance, we must focus on the social aspects, not the technical ones, of rule breaking and rule following. This section might appear to be going off on a tangent, but it is fundamental to deviation and its normalisation. Much of what we do in diving is about risk management, because diving takes place in an inherently hazardous environment. The primary hazards we face while diving are hypoxia, hyperoxia, hypercapnia, arterial gas embolism or gas expansion injuries, and trauma. These primary hazards can be encountered by drowning, entanglement, rapid ascent, scrubber breakthrough or missing scrubber material, incorrect or unknown breathing gas for the depth, or running out of gas, along with many other things. A hazard is something that causes physical harm to us or someone else. They are not risks. A risk is a probability that something will happen that allows the hazard to materialise and cause harm to us. Risk is made up of probability combined with the consequence, for example. The risk of a fatality while diving is in the order of 1 in 200,000 dives. The problem for us is that mentally 1 in 200,000 is a very small number and it applies to the wider population of divers, not just me. Although technically I am one of that population, several cognitive biases and heuristics, mental shortcuts, mean that I don't necessarily accept that that one might actually be me. To ensure risks are kept at an acceptable level, Professional risk managers have four ways of managing risk. Treat, tolerate, terminate or transfer. Treat. Controls are used to reduce the likelihood that the hazard will be encountered. 
and mitigations are used to reduce the impact or severity when the hazard is encountered. For example, gas planning and training to effectively monitor gas consumption while diving are controls, whereas gas sharing and drop bottles are ways in which the risk of hypoxia due to running out of gas can be mitigated. Tolerate. This is where the residual level of risk after treatment is acceptable. It might not mean zero. For example, we plan for one catastrophic failure on a dive because otherwise excessive gas reserves are needed, especially when it comes to deeper dives. Note, we could still end up with a serious injury or fatality. Different people will have different levels of risk tolerance or risk acceptance based on their experiences, training, mindset, and environment. Terminate. This is where we end the dive because the risk has become too great for the linked reward. Terminate could happen before the dive team enters the water, as weather conditions have deteriorated to a level which means a surface rescue would be considered too difficult, or a piece of equipment fails on the dive, such as a regulator is bubbling excessively and the dive is called. Anyone can thumb a dive at any time for any reason is the mantra that supports this, although a lack of psychological safety and sunk costs doesn't make this easy. Transfer. This is where someone else owns the residual risk after you have applied some form of treatment. It normally takes the form of insurance or waivers. In the diving industry, much of the residual risk in a training environment is transferred to the dive centers and instructors to manage. That is, if something goes wrong, it is their issue to resolve, not the agency or manufacturer. In a fun diving environment, some of the risks can't really be transferred, although medical insurance transfers the costs of the chamber or other medical support to the insurance company. Note that no matter how you manage the risk, the hazard still remains. Unless you don't dive, you can still encounter the hazards, no matter how many pieces of paper you sign. What the paperwork does is transfer the financial mitigation to an insurance company. Most divers are not professional risk managers. Furthermore, because they do not have the numerical data to make effective decisions, they manage uncertainty, not risk. Uncertainty is mostly managed by cognitive biases, heuristics, and emotions. If something doesn't end up as a bad outcome, it must have been a good decision. Outcome bias. I don't think it will apply to me because I am different to that diver, distancing through differencing. I haven't heard about that sort of thing happening, or if I have, it was a long time ago, therefore it doesn't really exist or apply to me, recall and recency biases. It will be all right, even though things look marginal. Optimism bias. No one else sees an issue with this hazard, therefore I won't say anything, as it must be okay. Social conformance. If I end this dive now, I'm going to let others down, peer pressure. I have invested time and money in this dive trip, and even though I know I have an issue with my equipment, I'm going to dive anyway. Sunk cost fallacy. Finally, as diving is a social activity, we need to recognize that many of the biases we use to manage uncertainty are based on social norms. The term normalization of deviance was coined by Diane Vaughan in her book, The Challenger Launch Decision, where she describes in detail how NASA and Morton Theocol didn't break any rules, but rather managed risks using engineering judgment to move from an original baseline focused on why should we launch to one which was shaped around the concept of why shouldn't we launch. The organizations gradually socialized the increased risks they were taking as being normal. In their eyes at the time, they weren't being unsafe. She defined a normalization of deviance as a process where a clearly unsafe practice, in hindsight, comes to be considered normal if it does not immediately cause a catastrophe. In her words, it was a long incubation period before a final disaster, with early warning signs that were either misinterpreted, ignored, or missed completely, 
and the gradual process through which unacceptable practice or standards become acceptable. As the deviant behavior is repeated without catastrophic results, it becomes the social norm for the organization. Fundamentally, no moral compass pointed in the wrong direction toward unsafe decisions. The engineers and managers use their professional judgment in risky situations to make sense of the problems they faced and come up with safe solutions. The engineers and managers had previously stopped launches when they considered the situation to be unsafe on numerous occasions. However, regarding the O-ring issue, they had normalized the risk because over time, nothing had gone wrong despite evidence to show the risk was credible. What about speeding as an example of normalization of deviance? If normalization of deviance isn't about rule breaking, why is this example used? The reason is that it isn't the rule breaking that is being looked at, it is the social acceptance of the rule breaking. Once multiple people break the speed limit, it is easier to conform to the illegal norm than it is to comply and follow the rules. Humans are wired to conform to social norms because it had evolutionary benefits. Stay with the tribe inside the thorn bushes or be cast out to where the wild animals are on the savannah. In Aberdeen, a city based around the oil and gas industry, pedestrians are more likely to use pedestrian crossings due to the culture of offshore workers following rules in high-risk environments compared to Glasgow where they don't have the same culture. Now that we know that the original concept of normalization of deviance doesn't refer to rule breaking, how does it apply to diving? First off, what does safe mean in the context of diving? Remember, diving takes place in an inherently hazardous environment. Other than an absence of fatalities, there isn't anything obvious. And therefore, safe becomes a social construct based on the absence of adverse events. We should note that some groups are more risk averse than others and would include near misses and non-compliance of rules as an adverse event as there has been a reduction in safety margins. The rules that are used to create safety in diving rarely have any legal precedence. Rather, they are socially constructed as being good or best practice. Who decides what good or best practice is? By having grey areas, it makes it harder to hold others to account and therefore drift is more likely. The following are examples at the industry level. Continued reduction in safety margins. For example, fewer hours to start the instructor development process. Acceptance that minimums become targets for the experience. The conflict between sales and marketing to make courses accessible and competitive and the training or safety departments pushing back as the hazards still remain. Socially accepted that courses are cheap, wages are low and standards are not where they should be and yet nothing is done at the industry level to address this as it would impact revenue generation. The RSTC and similar have limited influence to increase standards as the membership would inherit the more stringent requirements thereby reducing revenue. A UK HSE report from 2011 on CCR safety strongly recommended that HF training be included as part of CCR training, but nothing has been done to incorporate it. The following are examples at the training organization or agency level. Agency's inability to consistently deal with instructors who are drifting and do not appear to want to come back to the agency standards because that specific instructor generates significant revenue or kudos for the agency. Quality control is reactive rather than proactive as it responds to serious events rather than looking for what makes it hard for instructors and dive centers to do their job well or addressing why drift is happening in the first place. Having minimum or no limits between certification courses to ensure skill consolidation and competency development. Finally, we have drift 
at the individual or team level. The following will be more obvious examples of the normalization of deviance. However, we should recognize that these aren't just individual actions. The normalization of deviance is about the social acceptance of these activities and an inability to challenge the drift. Examples are reduction in gas minimums to maximize bottom time, progressing quickly through the training system without building experience, increased depth well beyond qualification or certification limits, penetrating wrecks or caves without guidelines being in place, reducing decompression safety margins and getting out of the water more quickly, purchasing shiny stuff as a solution for gaps in skills and competencies. We should recognize that these individual issues often have their roots at the higher levels described above. It is all very well pointing out the problems, but how do we solve them? First off, recognize that normalization of deviance isn't about the rule breaking per se, it is about the social acceptance of the drift that is happening. The lack of clear performance-based standards across the industry means it's harder to hold people, centers and organizations to account when they drift. Past successes are no guarantee of future success. The lack of psychological safety inside agencies and across the community makes it harder to challenge those who are not conforming to standards. This includes senior instructors, instructor trainers, instructor examiners, or course directors. Just because an individual holds a position of seniority within the industry, it doesn't make them immune from drift. If you are role modeling substandard behaviors, then others will emulate you because of social conformance. Create and support an environment where challenge is rewarded. Developing leaders within the industry is critical. Genuine leaders can influence others without the need to use authority. Effective leaders build relationships and understand what work as done is really like, not assume that compliance is the only option, and if instructors appear to be compliant, then all is well. Effective leaders will also support those who demonstrate constructive dissent. Those who find holes in the system from a position of improvement, not from a position of malice. Supporting a just culture to understand how it made sense for a near miss incident or accident to happen will help. Accidents, in the main, don't happen as one-offs. They have a history. There will be signals or signs in the past that have highlighted where the gaps are, gaps that have been socially accepted over time. The bottom line is that we should be proactive rather than reactive because preventing a normalization of deviance is easier than correcting it. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more about what was discussed in this episode, head over to the Human Diver website at thehumandiver.com where you will find details about our education programs, the If Only documentary, the book Under Pressure, and the many, many blogs we have published there. If you think others should listen and learn, consider sharing the link. Thank you.